Well, I hope by now that you and uh, Tom Rainer are becoming good friends. He is the author of uh, the book that we are uh, using uh, here for uh, our Lenten series. I'm a church member. I hope that you're into that, that you're reading that. We're not uh, prescribing how you read that. Some of you may choose to read ahead because each Sunday we will be uh, elaborating on uh, the chapters of that book. Wednesday evening at Potter's House, we will be uh, digging deep, unpacking uh, some of the truths that are in that book. So if you want to read it ahead, that's fine. If you want to read it after you hear us uh, uh, preach on Sunday morning, you may do it that way. Whatever works for you. Now, if you have not gotten your copy of I Am a Church Member, they are available in the lobby in the Northex today. <clears throat> they are, we ask a $5 donation, but the $5 is not the important thing. The content of the book is the important thing. And if, if, if you can't give a $5 donation, don't worry about it. Just take the book and uh, we will be delighted for you to have that. We want one book in each home of the parish. If you have friends that you would like to be uh, blessed and benefited by the book, take one for them too. We have reordered several times, and we're thrilled to tell you that, that we've had to do that. And if we have to reorder again, we will do it. It's a, it's a wonderful book. It is not difficult reading, but there is much, much material in it for us to uh, take a look at. Now, this morning, <clears throat> for those of you who have read ahead or read the first chapter, it's my responsibility to <clears throat> elaborate on that. And if you've read that or when you do, you will notice that the author lifts up 1 Corinthians 11 through 13 with particular emphasis on 12 and 13. 13 is the, is the great uh, love chapter. And uh, uh, chapter, the, the 12th chapter is the chapter that we're focusing in on and taking a look at this morning. Now, as I read this morning's scripture from that chapter, verses 12 through 27, I want you to do something. I want you to pay particular attention to when the word body appears. I want you to notice how frequently the apostle in his writing used the word body. So here we go. Whereas the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, 
where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. If the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But your presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members in, in individually. How many parts of your body do you suppose were involved in our exercise period this morning? How many parts of your body do you think it took to do all that? It took a lot. It took a lot of body parts to accomplish that. And not just what we could see or not just what we saw being manipulated. It took a lot of body parts to go back <clears throat> to that little exercise that many of us did when we were kids in Sunday school. <clears throat> and think about this. If one part that was necessary for us to do that exercise failed, or if one part refused to do it and said, <clears throat> well, that's childish, I'm not doing that, then the rest of the body parts weren't able to do it within the individual body. But if you were too sophisticated, too uptight to do that, you didn't make us a complete body because we weren't all participating in the same thing. We were not one body if there was one of you who chose not to do that for whatever reason. Now that's 1 Corinthians 12. That's what that means. It was American architect Lewis Sullivan who coined the phrase, form follows function. Now form follows function is a rule without exception. And we all operate with that rule every day. Some of you in your professional lives, uh, in, in those of you especially who are uh, in uh, very technical work, uh, know that uh, in larger ways than some of the uh, rest of us. But uh, form follows function is a rule without exception. And I, <clears throat> I so enjoy the way Sullivan wrote about that technical rule. He wrote with a beauty and an appreciation for that rule as it spreads out across all of life. Let me share with you from the writing of Lewis Sullivan about form 
following function. Whether it be the sweeping eagle in his flight or the open apple blossom, the toiling workhorse, the blithe swan, the winding stream at its base, the drifting clouds, over all the coursing sun, form ever follows function. And this is the law. Where function does not change, form does not change. The granite rocks, the ever brooding hills remain for ages. The lightning lives, comes into shape, and dies in a twinkling. Form ever follows function. You are seated here as worshipers before God Almighty. You have participated in this worship time in varieties of ways. Think of all the systems that have had to cooperate, that have had to work in synchronization in your bodies to allow you to do that. I'm going to name just a couple. This is not an exhaustive list, but here are just some of the systems in our bodies that, have, that allow us to be here right now worshiping. Our muscular, skeletal, nervous, Respiratory, auditory, cardiac, digestive, and many others not noted. So Paul's use of the human body and his many parts as an analogy for unity in the church of Christ is very significant. It's a very powerful Analogy. Now, when writing Corinthians, Paul's purpose was to address an immediate need. He was not thinking that somewhere out across the centuries, in some far away tomorrow in God's future, his letter would be written. He would never have imagined that there would be a place called York, Pennsylvania, where in 2017, a congregation would be reading his letter marked as 1 Corinthians 12. He would not have imagined that 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, has become the, the, the symbol of powerful, nurturing, foundational love. The thing that I need to tell you, and I, I, I don't want to burst your bubbles, but you need to know uh, what the Bible is about. 1 Corinthians 13 was not written about marriages. Now, if you had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding, you're all right. There's nothing going to happen to you. But you need to understand that Paul was dealing with a fractured church, with a church that was, that was filled with animosity, that people uh, were, were struggling in their relationships with one another. They were importing from the culture, from the society. Cor Corinth was very cosmopolitan and all kinds of things from the society that were going on in the world were being brought into the church. 
And the apostle was saying, that can't happen. It's fracturing us. It's breaking us. We don't have unity. That's why chapter 12 about the body and the unity of the body. And then the last verse of that chapter, which is a transitional verse into the great love chapter, is this, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And then begins, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. And on and on it goes, concluding with those magnificent words. And now faith, hope, love, these three abide. But the greatest of these is love. It's that love through Jesus that holds this body of believers together, Paul was saying. And so because of human need and a situation that has not changed across the centuries, God Almighty, who spoke to Paul thousands of years ago, speaks to us through this ancient holy scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> now I ask you, when I, when I read the scripture background for this morning, to notice how many times the word body appears. You may be able to read with, with greater ease and emphasis than, than I, but as you continue to read that passage, the frequent repetition, the almost redundance of the word body makes it a difficult passage to read out loud. 18 or 19 times the word body appears in that passage. 18 to 19 times. You think he wanted to make a point? I'd say he was really underscoring the point that he wanted to make. And it's a, an important one because if body parts do not cooperate, we've got serious difficulty on our hands. If body parts do not work together, even death can occur. Now, it's always been interesting to me that for you know, the 16 years that I've been privileged to be pastor here, this 930 service called our contemporary service is a very intergenerational service. Now, there are some of you who have, will have no idea what I'm about to illustrate or talk about, but there are some of you who know very well what I'm going to say. I've discovered <clears throat> body parts that are making me aware of their existence that I never paid much attention to before. And I don't get up in the morning the way I used to get up in the morning. There are parts that are stiff and slow, and uh, it, I get into my day slowly. And so I get up early so that I can do that. And by the time I get to my office, I'm fully functioning. I'm ready to go, but it takes longer <clears throat> for me to get this body going than it used to. For those of you who are sitting there and, and look like you have not a clue what I'm talking about, I'm happy for you, but have sympathy on me. <laughs> 
feel for some of the rest of us, will you please? Let's think about this. Get a speck in your eye. Man, that can just cause everything to stop. You get a speck in your eye. Toothache. Mmm, wonderful. Abdominal pain. You, you don't do much else because those are very difficult situations. Why are those specks in our eyes, toothache, abdominal pain, why are they such a problem? Because it's personal, isn't it? It is personal. Now, <clears throat> we do not say, there is an eye that has something in it. There's a tooth somewhere that really hurts. There's not a child that runs to his or her mommy or daddy and says, there's a tummy ache somewhere in the world. Mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. There's a tummy ache somewhere in the world, really? No, it's personal. My eye hurts, my tooth aches, my tummy hurts. It's personal. It's personal. It's about us. A doctor wants to know about what it is that's distressing your body. And so you say, I, me, and mine. You refer to yourself. <clears throat> now, I know this is obvious, but we need to think about this in the context of 1 Corinthians 12 because it fits what Paul is saying like a suit of tailored clothing fits us. When one part of the body is not healthy, all other parts are affected. You don't feel much <clears throat> like doing anything when you have a toothache or when that eye is, is trying to get debris out of it or when the, 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 the tooth hurts so bad that you can't think of anything else. Lose a filling, break a tooth. Where does your tongue go? right to that spot all the time. So our bodies are wonderfully and intricately made and they are the example of the church, the metaphor for the church that Paul used. Here in our church, we are all, like every church is supposed to be, we are all essential parts of the whole. And if one of you did refuse to do that little exercise at the, be at the beginning of the children's time, then we weren't a body. We were only a body if we were all doing the same thing together. Our different gifts and talents and strengths and abilities enable us to do many things. And our people are invested and involved in kingdom work in many, many kinds of ways. But the thing that we need to always keep in mind is that we are not a social service organization. And it's not our idea to be a church. 
It's God's idea. And what we are doing is responding to God's call to be his church. God calls you to your place in membership. God calls you to responsibilities and duties. Are you listening? Do you hear him? And are you responding? Listen, the church is not an LLC. The church is not a limited liability company. Members are called by God who expect them to be his church. He expects us to be his church. If we think of the church in that way, we remember then who unites us and less of local differences and personal preferences that often divide churches. God wants children taught. Children of all ages, little kids, youth, adults. He wants children to be taught so that they may truly become his children, will become his children. The Bible's very clear. We're made in his image, but we become his children as his power is released in us. So where do people get this information? How do they understand what this is about? Well, God puts teachers before them. In all likelihood, you are here this morning because somewhere in your life, there was, a, there was a teacher, there was a mentor, there was someone who gave herself or himself to the kingdom of God for the purpose of teaching and training you from little up what it means to be a follower of God. Now, there are many of you here this morning who are, who are older adults. You have life experience. You have experience with Jesus. And God wants to take your history. God wants to use your personal history to teach others. He wants you to be a, a living illustration a breathing example for boys and girls. Out of, out of what you have experienced, what you have learned about the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God, he wants you to teach others. He wants you to teach young mothers. He wants you to teach young fathers. He wants you to, to be a, a, available, those of you that have strong, vibrant, flourishing Christian marriages. He wants you to be available to me so that I can say to you, I have a young couple I'm, I'm counseling with for marriage. Can you come alongside? And can, can you spend some time with them? Can you invite them to your home, have a dinner? Can you, can you have a date night with them and talk to them about what victorious, triumphant marriage is? You see, God teaches through us because 
We are his expression. We are his body. God wants people to be healed. He wants people to be healed. And so when he does, he finds physicians, finds doctors to help us in our time of need. He finds people who are working day and night to discover treatment for for dreaded diseases. God wants his story told. He wants his story told. And so he brings little girls and boys up through Sunday school, doing motions about churches and learning songs and learning to love him more and more. And those little girls and boys have names like Megan Cruzmark and Rodney Richardson and David Hummel, and Bud Bish, and Dennis Hummel. And he calls them to be pastors. And he pulls them together in a strategic location called Yorkshire United Methodist Church. Who knew? Who knew years ago that we would be together for such a time as this? We are the body of Christ. Paul said it so magnificently. We are the body of Christ. We are his hands to work, his feet to go, his feet to run errands. We are the voices to to speak for him. And that begins, that begins with, with hearing a call Hearing a call here in this beloved, precious sanctuary on this holy ground, it begins with our uniting with one another. Members together with our various talents and abilities. We have so many faithful servants here who work quietly just the way God wants them to. They don't put it up on billboards. They don't, you don't see them announced on television. But they are there. They are doing kingdom work. I want to give you a living illustration right now of one of, one of the women in this fellowship of believers who does that, has been doing that in a very quiet and unassuming way for years. Listen to the witness, to the illustration of being part of the body of Christ that comes to you now from Virginia Dick, Victoria Dick. (laughs) About 12 years ago, 12 years ago, that I just, I realized God was talking to me and it was time to help people living in severe poverty. And this, the whole idea is hard, was hard to me because it upsets me greatly to see people who have tremendous needs and I can't help them. And I also don't like hot weather. I'm a cold weather person. But off I went to Granville, Jamaica. And uh, we had a, a number of people from this church who went. Uh, Steve Spangler repairing water problems at all hours of the day. Uh, uh, John Schaff would go as a mason. Steve Coates, uh, Barry and, and Susie Julius, Roger would go. And these children were all deaf. 
from, mostly from diseases, high temperatures that, that destroyed their hearing. And they, ha they were all there for the purpose of becoming Christians. Uh, that school was teaching them the gospel, and so many of the staff members were also deaf. They needed a school. They needed school classrooms. They needed a place to worship. And we had the tools. God gave us all the tools we needed. Shovels, wheelbarrows, and we had a cement mixer called Old Yeller that was tiny. It was yellow, and it had a gasoline engine. And, uh, and we had our desire to work for God's glory. That was the biggest of all. And these buildings that were built withstood hurricanes, a tornado. They never faltered. This was God's work, God's glory. And uh, we had some amazing experiences there, to say the least. And the most memorable one I had was the, the day that God was, was totally in control. And there was one woman on campus who depended on her bus for her livelihood. And one night working, I heard these horrible, horrible screams and went out and sh the bus had been hit and it had jumped out of gear. It was just in gear to try to keep it in place. And it was going down a rather steep hill heading right for the children in the dormitory. And the children were all out playing. It was dusk. It was playtime. And I could see them getting hit. How were they going to know? They couldn't hear a bus coming. So a bunch of us start running, thinking, we can get to the kids. You will never believe what happened. This was a miracle. That bus made a total 90-degree turn. There was no reason for it to do this. And it went down another hill. And it did crash, but it crashed into our cinder block bricks. And they just got knocked all over the place. They were still usable. It did destroy the bus. And the woman arrived shortly thereafter, Miss, dear Miss Russell, Dorrit Russell, who owned the bus. She was not a bit upset. She was just relieved. Not a single person was hurt. Everybody was saved. Even though she didn't have insurance, her bus, her livelihood was gone. But we, we worked at this for such a long time and had so many experiences. But then something else happened that was really good, bad and good. It really bothered me tremendously. The children didn't have any glasses. Not a single child wore glasses. And if you're deaf, if you've been very sick in your life, in all likelihood, you probably have eyesight problems. And so one night, I had the good opportunity, it's, this is God's help, to meet up with a woman who does mission work. Right now, she's done 26 international trips, taking dentists and eye doctors to other countries. And she listened. She said, we're going to go to Jamaica. And so what happened was $50,000 in donations were received, and they were matched. We had 100000 And what can you do? You know, we, we could buy so many um, glasses. We could, we could hire so many people to grind frames. We had the dentists going with us, and they were going to leave expensive equipment behind so they could continue to fill teeth and do root canal instead of pulling everything. And so we did three trips. We went back to not just the school at Granville. We hit all the other schools in the CCCD in different parts of Jamaica. And I will tell you one funny story. We did examine the eyes of our van driver the night before we had a long trip across the island through the mountains, passes. He had very poor vision. So God was with us. We stayed on the road, and we made it back. But uh, what a difference this made. I would have loved to have been there the day these children put their glasses on for the first time. And think about how they'd see every leaf on the tree. They'd see the stars for the first time if they had never seen stars before. And it's, 
it was for the glory of God. And it's, it's all a miracle what has become with this school. And this group continues. <laughs> it's become an international medical team from different countries, dentists, uh, pediatricians, and of course lots of eye doctors. And we're going to Uganda in 10 days. We're gonna keep doing this and it, it will continue. And we try to train people where we go to do what we've done so that work will continue and their lives will be better. But this is thanks to God. All of this happened thanks to his glory. And I'm so glad he spoke to me and said it's time to do this. Thank you. Victoria, thank you so much. And you have, your total number of trips to this point is 16, 16 trips to this point. And the financing for these trips is personal. It's an amazing story how God spoke to a, a couple people here and a couple people there. And then they, they told their stories and others became aware. And thousands of kids who couldn't see now have glasses. And they are being uh, helped with uh, ways to communicate with the body of Christ. And he just continues to build that body when we are willing to be faithful to him because he wants his work sustained. God gives us money to sustain his work. He blesses us in, in marvelous ways. He gives us riches and, and provides for us. I have... I have lived with the Lord for decades. And I do not understand his system of economics. But it works. It works. <clears throat> and let me tell you how strange it is. <clears throat> Let's say... Well, let's start out with something very simple. <clears throat> let's say I have a candy bar. And it's a candy bar that we both really like. But there's only one candy bar. So, <clears throat> minimally, how much are you hoping I'm going to give you? You can hope for all of it. That's not going to happen. So, you're, you're probably hoping... I'm going to give you half. Or that I might, <clears throat> I might really be a nice guy, even though it's my favorite candy bar too. I might give you 60% and I'll keep 40. But <clears throat> that's about it. Or there's one piece of cake left or one piece of pie, and uh, you know the rule on that. You cut, but I choose. We want to make sure we get our portion. But here's God's economy. Let's say I have <clears throat> I have. 10 gold bricks, 10 bricks of gold that were given to me by God. He gave me 10 bricks of gold. They're stacked up right here. He says, we're going to divide them between me and you, Dennis. Here's the way we're going to divide them. I want you to set nine on one side and one on the other. Dennis, you get the nine. I get the one. 
That's God's economy. Out of every 10, God asks for one, and we're left with nine. You are a rare person if you would handle your riches that way. So he leaves us with nine, asks for one or 10%. Now that's the teaching of scripture. And yes, I'm going to talk to you for the next three minutes or so about money. Because while life together in the body is a beautiful concept, it involves the whole. And if one member does not participate in the body, it cannot be a whole body. And so the word of the Lord is that he wants us to give him 10% of our resources. Now, there are people who say, well, I just can't do that. Well, you tell me why you can't do that. I mean, figuratively speaking, tell me why you can't do that when the one who designed your body, who designed your life, who has given you life, who knows more than anyone in this world knows, says you can do that, and you tell him you can't. How does that work? You know better than God. And then there are those people that come along and say, well, I'll, I'll work my way into tithing. I'll, I'll start with 3%, and then I'll work up to 3 and and I'll work up to 5 And No, no, no. There's not a one of you that would accept a relationship here on earth that, that would be based that way. You want the full relationship. Let's really make this extreme but really drive the point home. You have a spouse who's committing adultery. And you know that. And you confront that spouse. And you say, look, I know that this is happening. I know that you are rendezvousing with this person three times a week. Now I want it to stop. And the, and the guilty party says, well, I'll go down to one. I'll just do it once a week. How's that? Are you going to accept that? Absolutely not. You want the full commitment. And God wants our full commitment to his word. I hate talking about money. I just hate talking about money. I want to trust you that you're going to honor your commitment. But I have to talk about it. And if you've read Tom Rainer, he's talked about it in chapter one. I should have said something before, but I hate talking about money. This is the first Sunday of March. Financially, we are two weeks behind already in 2017. That means we are approximately $23,000 behind budget because we need $11,000 plus a week to make our budget here. Now, if we're going to be the body of Christ, then we need to, to be that. 
And we need to honor what the word of God teaches. And we need to do that. God wants his work sustained. He gives us 10, asks us to leave one for him. This is not about equal giving. We are not going to give equal amounts. But it is about equal commitment and equal sacrifice. Everyone in the body accepting 10% as God's word. And then whatever 10% means to your resources, that's what you give. We're not all going to give the same dollar amount, but it's equal commitment, equal sacrifice to the things of the kingdom. And all that we're trying to do, all that we want to do here with these fantastic new Sunday school programs and groups for, for our kids will be possible. Right now, we are really on a, on a tight, tight uh, rope with that because we're lagging in our funds. This has to be part of what it means to be a functioning church member. Some of you belong to civic and fraternal organizations. You follow sports teams very closely. Some of you are part of professional groups and, and you're very loyal to them. They have dues. And that's fine. Christian people need to be in those things. And, and I enjoy associations like that too. But you know What? Some of those fraternal organizations and those civic organizations and those clubs you belong to, they tell you how much you will give them annually and you don't blink an eye, you do it because you want the status and the privilege and the recognition of being ranked among those kinds of people. But when the church, when the church asks for a commitment based on the word of God, I don't pledge. I don't pledge. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So where are we? And who are we? Here in our church, we are all essential parts of the body of Christ. Form follows function. Form follows function. Is that function, that purpose, for you, from God, or man? Those of you who are members here spoke vows of church membership. I don't know how long ago you spoke them, but I want to ask you this question. What do they mean to you today? After all these years, what do your vows of membership mean? How are you fulfilling them? Are you ready? Are you willing to be God's woman and God's man and say to him in surrender this morning, Lord God Almighty, I will be, I will be a functioning church member.
Now, I know we're over time, and I don't care. I really don't care. I'm not going to ask the worship team to not lead us in song. We need to finish with song. We need to go before the Lord and commit ourselves. So, team, come on up while I finish talking. We need to go before God, open our our hearts, be led by His Spirit, and make the pledge to Him that we are going to be truly functioning 100% church members. And the person seated beside you can depend on that. And the person in the back can depend on the person in the front. And I can depend on you and you can depend on me. And God can depend and trust what we say. Let's pray. Father, may the truth of your word just radiate through us. May the glory that is Jesus' church be reflected through us, in us, to all those we meet in every time and place and situation. Lord, we are the body of Jesus. We thank you for that awesome place. And by your spirit, lead, guide, take us and make us fully, completely yours. In the Savior's name, I pray. Amen.